and welcome to the POD cast. We're here. We finally made it. Sorry to all you that were waiting on Twitch. We were going through some technical difficulties. Unfortunately, the show was supposed to have our special guest, Jerry Mallory. Um, internet was not cooperating on his side, so we will see him either next week or sometime in the near future. But for now, let's get into this week's POD cast. We've got a big show for you. We've got myself, Jeremy Reisman, the adequate, the, uh, the interim coach. So adequate that he can't even remember his nickname now two months in. Um, and we also have our good friend, Ryan Matthews. Back is the rock At Ryan underscore POD. Ryan, how how we doing? I, I think as everyone is, we're making do. We are making do. That is a great way to put it. And we are going to make do on this podcast with a duo, which I mean... It's kind of the, the the backbone of this podcast anyways. Um, and and we do have a, an interesting show. We're going to try to keep things light. Obviously, the world around us is not so light at the moment. So we're going to try to be that hour of, of brightness in your day, um, distraction, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we got some Lions free agency talk week two um, of all the line. The line stayed pretty active. Maybe not as exciting as week one, but we'll get into that. Second segment, we're going to bump up the mailbag segment two answer all of your questions and we got a lot of them we're gonna get into the draft a little bit we're gonna get into some other fun stuff and then segment three i'm very excited about it list cast as someone once said it's back baby it's good again list cast is back we got something that's not only going to be entertaining for you but it's also going to be a nice list that maybe you can use throughout this week so stay tuned for that. But let's get into the week one or sorry, week two of free agency. Let's talk about what the Lions did um, in the past week. Again, not flashy moves, but probably necessary moves. Um, when we last left our Detroit Lions, um, we were in the middle of the wake from the Darius Slay trade. They just signed a couple uh, defensive backs that were special teamers in J-Ron Curse and Tony McCray. Now they went around and kind of went back to kind of dug more into the special teams. They get, they get Jeremy Davis, a wide receiver. They get Elijah Lee, um, another special teams guy. And then they got two other guys who we're going to get into in a minute here. Um, but let's, let's talk about those first two guys, Jeremy Davis and, and Elijah Lee and kind of mixing in the JR and Kirsten and Tony McRae signing. I think some people, including myself to at least some extent is surprised at how deep they're digging into special teams right now. And not that that's not a necessary part of free agency, but the Lions kind of built their roster around some special teams guys last year. And the special teams unit wasn't horrible. Obviously the Lions think somewhat differently since they fired the special teams coordinator, but have, have these moves surprised you at all? The fact that they're, they're hitting special teams as hard as they are. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily surprising me just because I think this is just another kind of talent turnover Mm -hmm. during the Matt Patricia era and maybe more so getting, getting those special teams players in there that he wants to have in there. Also, you have to consider like, like you mentioned, there's a new special teams coach. So maybe there are some positions that need to be filled with more specific type of players. Maybe they are of the, the ilk of Elijah Lee, as you mentioned, or maybe they're more so like Jeremy Davis, but regardless, they're getting players who seem to fit this mold. Tony McRae literally comes from Cincinnati where we're 
uh, Coombs comes from. So it makes a lot of sense that the Lions are kind of turn over, turning over this part of their roster just because I think they have, you know, that new, that new coach in there. But at the same time, it's just you're, maybe you're going to start to see like the Jalen Reeves Mabins of the world fall by the wayside just because yeah. they predate the Matt Patricia era too. So I think that's something else to keep in mind. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and I think that to me is the most interesting part of this is these guys that were basic special teamers on this roster, how safe are their jobs now? How safe is, is like CJ Moore, who I thought was pretty good in his essential his, his rookie year last year, but that special teams room is getting awfully crowded right now. And, and I think you, you did a good job bringing up Jalen Reeves Maiman. There's also Steve Longa, a guy who mm-hmm. is definitely a good character guy in that locker room and, and a guy who's been a good special teams player for the team when he's healthy. Um, th- there could be, I mean, we, we've been thinking about all the turnover that's going on the defense this year. Um, and you know, uh, all the, behavioral and and attitude overhaul. I don't think anyone necessarily expected this much of an overhaul overhaul on special teams too. And and I'm very curious to see if, if those mainstays that have either been around for a long time that may not be part of Matt Patricia's systems or or Braden Coombs special teams. I mean, I don't know how much philosophical difference there's going to be between Braden Coombs and uh, uh, John Bonamago, but um, I I think I'm starting to, to sense that there's at least a little bit of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- there is, but one of the most interesting names that the lions decided to bring back was miles Killebrew. Right. Yes. Who which I think projects is, me. Yeah. Which is surprising because it seems at this point in his career, his, his ceiling is depth player in case of emergency, but special teams ace. Right. And I don't know if, he did enough last year to to bring him back or if he fits a specific skill set that Braden Coombs seeks out. But I think that's one of the most interesting names that came back because I thought that he was maybe as good as done, but miles Killebrew might be one of those guys who makes the roster solely based on his ability to play special teams. Yeah. And I'm, I'm even mildly surprised, not because of any poor fit or anything like that. I'm surprised that he wanted to come back. Like I, I don't think there's a chance for him to make an impact defensively on this team. And, mm. you know, he has certain talents. He's, he's an athletic guy. He's, he's a good character guy. I'm a little bit surprised that he didn't kind of test the market a little bit. And um, maybe he did and didn't find anything, you know, it, it, would, it, it did take a week for the lines to resign him. But um, that is, that's a really good point that the miles Killebrew is back. And I think a lot of time, a lot of people, once they saw that they signed, you know, Jaron curse, when they added, you know, Elijah Lee, maybe that spelled the end, but um, apparently he's going to get a chance to battle and I think he might win it. Now, I know I've, we've probably bored a good section of our, our listeners with special teams talk right off the bat, but we do have one more special teams move that I think we need to address before we move on. And unfortunately, we don't have Hamza here to, to share his, his thoughts, his memories, but Sam Martin off to Denver where he gets to kick in, in mile high air. Um, I, I think this is a move we all kind of felt the writing was on the wall there, but I guess the question now is what do the lines do at punter? Do, do they do what a lot of people seem to be predicting and draft one? They do have two on the roster though. They have Matt Weil and, and, and Jack Fox. Weil was a starter for the Vikings for a year. 
while Fox is definitely more uh, of an untested guy in, in the NFL. Um, do you have a feeling either way, whether they, they ride with one of those guys or, or draft some guy in day three? I don't think I feel a particular way about either of the guys that are on the roster right now. So I think that this is something that could very well be addressed in the draft. And I think it could be addressed on day three. We've seen Bob Quinn take special teams players that low before, or, you know, on, on that day before, you know, taking Jimmy Landis in 2016 in his very first draft. I think that punter is something that, that they value. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. But <laughs> I, I, th- I think punter is something that they truly do value. Sam Martin was one of the first guys that I think Bob Quinn actually extended when he, when he came to Detroit. So it's, it's going to be, I mean, they, they might just bring in guys to, to compete in training camp, but I would not be shocked at all whatsoever if they decide to use a, you know, a six round pick on a punter. Yeah. And th- there's th- some names that people are already throwing out there. Uh, there's Brandon Mann, who who was at the senior bowl with the team. Um, what's the name of the guy who who was all jacked up at the, at the combine? Oh, I don't remember. Know. I don't know. You're, you're asking Listen, the wrong person. We don't, we don't have Hams on. I'm, I, I know people are screaming and saying, why don't you know your stuff? It's because we're still a month away from the draft. Maybe it might be even longer. Who knows? And it's a punter. All right. I'm not going <laughs> to do a ton of research on punters. I'm sorry. I'm just not Turk. Thank you, chat. Um, yeah. I don't know. That, I, I, I'm spent on special teams right now. We're only, we're only about nine minutes into the show and I'm already spent on special teams. So I think it's time to talk about the other and what I would view more significant signings the Lions made. Um, both towards the end of the week. Let's start. Let's first start first on Geronimo Ellison, former Packers wide receiver, whom the Lions agreed to terms on on Sunday. Um, it was only a one year deal. It's minimum salary deal. Won't even be a million cap hit. Kind of an intriguing signing. And based on what I'm hearing out of Green Bay, it's very mixed. A lot of Green Bay Packers fans are like, good guy, made a couple big plays for him had a really promising start to the 2018 season before his injury, even potential wide receiver too. And then there's the other side of Packers fans that are like, this guy was garbage. This guy provided no value to the team. If he can't make the Packers wide receiver squad as it currently stands, that's everything you need to know. Ryan, where do you fall on this spectrum? As always, maybe the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But I tend to want to agree with the idea that Geronimo Allison is nothing more than a camp body. Mm -hmm. I think that he is even, he's less of a commitment than Jermaine curse was. I think Jermaine curse would have made the roster had he not suffered that really gruesome leg injury in the first preseason game. And Jermaine curse was a signing. They didn't even make until June of last season. So this is the lions being a little bit proactive. They're Mm -hmm. bringing in a guy who has experience four seasons in green Bay last year was his biggest season in terms of uh, career high in games played snaps and receptions. So everything about him screams unathletic guy who isn't capable of creating separation. So that is a problem because that's what this wide receiver. That's what this wide receiver corpse needs. It has Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, big guys who can, you know, play physical on the outside of the numbers and go up and make contested catches and things like that. 
Danny Amendola isn't really even a guy who creates so much separation, so to speak, but he's just a really solid route runner. So this is just another signing where I think that they added depth for the possibility of maybe being without Marvin Jones or being without Kenny Galladay for a game or two, like just depth. Honestly, I think if Geronimo Allison were to make the roster, rarely would he ever be on the active game day roster. Let me, let me pitch you something because right. you bring up points here that, you know, you, you allude to it. You maybe don't say it outright, but he's not an athletic guy. He's not a speedster. He's not a guy that creates a lot of separation. Right. But he is that big slot receiver that the Lions have been missing since Anquan Bolden. That's kind of his role. Mm-hmm. He's that yeah. big guy, catches stuff over the middle, moves the chains. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be that this year. I'm not going to say he's going to be as good as, as Anquan Bolden, the Hall of Famer. Yeah, no. Anquan Bolden's good. Um, <laughs> he was really good. <laughs> but what if you looked at this as maybe not a backup to Marvin Jones or Kenny Galladay, but a backup at the tight end position? Now, again, I'm not going to oversell Geronimo Allison. He's, he's probably not nearly as good of a blocker as, as most tight ends. He's not that big either. He's only 202 pounds. But I think there could potentially be a role here and not, not a defined one, not one where, you know, he he's going to be on the bubble during training camp. There, there's no question about that. He's not right. walking in, into here with a job, but there, there's something there. I mean, you don't look, look at the beginning of this 2018 season game one against Chicago. Good defense, five catches, 69 yards, a touchdown. Nice. Second week. Literally Minnesota, another good defense, six catches, 64 yards following week, two catches, 76 yards and a touchdown following week, six catches, 80 yards. So, I mean, he was above 60 yards in four straight games before he suffers his injury that, that causes him basically the rest of the season. There's, there's potential there and the lines are just kind of dipping their toes in there. No financial commitment here. So there's literally no risk here. He's a minimum salary guy. Um, no big deal. I don't think this changes any of the Lions plans. Draft is still 100% on the table fairly early in this draft. I would say as early as day two wide receivers still on the table. Um, but this is kind of like, Hey, why not try? Why not see if you can untap that potential? I mean, now he's got a good quarterback throwing to him. Wow. Do you want me to, (laughs) do you want me to take the bait there or what? (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Yeah. So, I I mean, it's an interesting signing. It's not one that that should be catching a lot of headlines. It's not like Geronimo Allison is going to catch 700 yards this year and 15 touchdowns like Marvin Jones wants. But um, I think he has a potential to be there just in case and keeping him around during training camp, getting him to learn the system. Maybe when he eventually doesn't make the team, he's a guy you can call in week, you know, eight when you need when you need an extra body. I I don't think I can, I don't think I can summarize that any better. All right. Well then let's move on to definitely the most intriguing signing this week. And that's former Alabama linebacker, Reggie Ragland, former second round pick Reggie Ragland, former everyone lions draft this guy. Damn it. Reggie Ragland. (laughs) Ryan, what's, what was your initial reaction to the signing and, and where do you think his role belongs um, if there is one in, in 2020. Yeah, I think that he's a guy who is going to make the team. And 
I only say that because I was part of the just draft Reggie Ragland, damn it, squad. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know, I, I think, I think he serves a role because he's, he's stout against the run. Uh, he's a, he's a really good tackler. I don't know if he has the most special teams qualities to him just because he isn't really a speedster in any type of way by any sense of the imagination. But, you know, I think that he could end up being a, I think he could end up being a potential starter for the Detroit lions linebacking corps. And I know that nothing I said prior to that (laughs) really was all that glowing in terms of review for Reggie Ragland. But I guess that's just how poorly I think of the Detroit Lions line backing corpse. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, last week we kind of talked about how surprised we were that they they underwent so many changes. And the addition of Ragland is also very surprising to me. Um, mm-hmm. He's a middle linebacker guy. He's a run stuffer. He's Jared Davis. I mean, I've seen some people saying this signing means nothing for Jared Davis, and I disagree. I yeah, think this I think it the means heat. everything. It put it means everything to Jared Davis. It puts the heat on him. And remember, Jared Davis is in the final year of his his rookie deal. Now, this doesn't mean the Lions are going to cut him or trade him. I don't think he has much trade value, if any. And cutting him doesn't save him any money. So they're going to ride with Davis at least through training camp. I think they probably still run. I mean, they they love the guy. They they know his his shortcomings. So they have to, by this point, they have to know Jared Davis's shortcomings, whether it's overrunning plays, whether it's the missed tackles, whether it's not being able to control his own speed, his own athleticism, because don't, don't get it wrong. Jared Davis is more athletic than Reggie Ragland. He is, Mm -hmm. Um, but he can't control it. And Reggie is the run stuffer that they like. He's exactly the kind of fit in terms of size and strength and all that. The thing that's going to frustrate Lions fans, though, is that he's not a good coverage guy. He's slow. And that's going to drive people bonkers. Now, he left Kansas City not only with a ring, but I think with a fairly good reputation. Now, he was a starter for three seasons, and that role kind of steadily diminished um, in 2019. He didn't start the majority of games. Um kind of fell out of favor at least a little bit, but he ended up making some big plays. I think he's a guy that... I, I'm not quite sure whether to pencil him in and starter at this point, but I do think he's going to be firm competition there for who they have currently. And yeah, I think he probably makes the roster too. To me, the question is just where does everyone fit now? Because there's mm. no more defined roles anymore. And maybe that's what they want. That that probably is what they want, right? They, they want to mix their guys. Who's the Jack linebacker? Who's Sam? Who's Will? Who's inside? Who's outside? Um, Reggie's probably purely an inside guy because he doesn't have that athleticism to bend the edge or, or create any sort of pass rush or cover tight ends. But at some point you, you need to fit three or four linebackers on the field. And I honestly, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I read an article about Jeff, from Jeff Risden over at Lineswire today saying, making sense of the linebackers. I read it and, and no offense to Jeff. I don't feel any more comfortable in, in knowing what the lines are going to do with their linebackers. Because mm-hmm. to me, it's, it's just kind of a, it's a mishmash and someone's going to be the odd man out. And I'm not entirely sure who it's going to be at this point. And I think Reggie's got a chance to, to be an odd man in right now. Yeah, I would definitely say that he is on, he's on the inside looking out. Yeah. Or, or, or something needs to change with his role, right? Because they're not going to give up on Tavai. I think they liked how he played it overall. 
Mm-hmm. But what what happens with Davis now? Does he become the Jack linebacker that every Lions fan thinks he want thinks they want him to be? I don't think so. Maybe he plays some on the edge um, in, in pass rushing scenarios or, you know, they, they, they mix things around. I mean, the one thing maybe we all need to do is just kind of divorce ourselves from putting people in specific roles anymore. Maybe there isn't a starting Jack linebacker. Maybe it's just a rotation. Maybe there isn't a starting Sam or Will. Maybe they're just rotating guys in and out. And it'll depend on, you know, what formation you see to start games. And that's technically the starter. But it's this signing is is one of the more interesting ones I think the Lions have made. And not not in that it's surprising that they like Reggie. I mean, not only is he a perfect body fit scheme, um, but he's also a perfect Scheme fit. He comes from Alabama. We know how much lines like Alabama guys because they play almost the same kind of defense that the Lions do. So it it made me it made my eyebrows perk up. I'm not that excited about it because again, he has quite a bit of limitations because of his his lack of speed, but I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by the setting. That that's all I can say about it. If you want to make a comparison or if you want to try to compare this signing to the Geronimo, Geronimo Allison signing. I see Geronimo Allison far closer to the bubble than Reggie Ragland will be at any point in time. I think Reggie Ragland is a slam dunk almost to make the roster. I think the first half of that was right. I, I think there's no question that his path to a roster is, is much easier than Geronimo Allison. I wouldn't quite pencil him in yet, but um, I mean, you also have to see what the lines do in the draft, but I think this is another point that a lot of people are bringing up. Does this take linebacker almost completely off the board for the lines? I don't think it takes linebacker off the board just because they can still improve. They can still improve at any of those positions. They sure. can still improve over Jared Davis, Reggie Ragland, Christian Jones, you know, whatever Jack linebacker they decide to have, whether that's Austin Bryan or whoever it ends up being. But I don't think that they can take linebacker. If there's a guy for them in this draft, I don't think that they can shy away from that. Yeah. At all. And I think, I think, I think you're right. And the other piece of puzzle there being is that they're not committed long-term to any of these guys, really. Even Jamie Collins, I think he signed a three-year deal, but it's really more of a two-year deal. The only guy that mm-hmm. I would say they're tied to long-term is, is Jelani Tavai. And, and that's it. So, yeah, I think linebacker is still on the table. Um, I don't necessarily think it's high on the priority list, but um, the Reggie Ragland signing does does change things at least a little bit Yeah, for 2020. All right, and with that, I think we're going to move on. That was week two of free agency in a nutshell. When we come back, time to answer your questions. So stick around and stay with the podcast. mailbag early this week and if you ever want to be a part of this mailbag make sure you head over to twitter and throw in the hashtag 
ask pod you can ask us about anything you can ask about the lines you can ask us about the draft you can ask us about free agency you can ask us about quarantining yourselves you can ask us about netflix recommendations you can ask us about snack foods that we eat and are ashamed of anything you want we'll answer it and also while you're at it and you want to interact with us one thing i'd love to see us a little more interaction from is our uh reviews um we we haven't gotten a ton of reviews lately and that's fine. It, it's, it's a pain in the ass. I listen to a bunch of podcasts and I've never given a review. So I understand, but if you'd like to, we'd appreciate it because here's the latest one we got. This will be fun from I put on shirts, one star boring and entertaining and unfunny opinion pieces are garbage. Sound like fruitcakes. Thanks for listening to our dairy slay episode. Appreciate it. <laughs> put that on my epitaph like that's what i want sounds like a fruitcake that's sounds like a fruitcake well i put on shirts speaking of have you ever had a fruitcake i've never had a fruitcake i know everybody always talks about like they're the worst they're not good no no i mean cake in in general is overrated as is and then you put like little uh, mm. like marbleized fruit i don't know even know what it is it's it's bad okay well that's enough fruitcake talk for the yes rest of the well podcast. i mean it, the fruit take talk is going to continue because i'm going to continue to talk and apparently i sound like a oh, fruitcake, but... oh. <laughs> now i understand <laughs> all right let's get to the mailbag uh our first question comes from nor noble gorgonite uh, on Twitter, he asks, do you feel any more or less confident in your mock drafts after this week of free agency? Could Isaiah Simmons still be on our board with a crowded linebacker? <laughs> First of all, I don't have a mock draft and I never will. Second of all, I'm feeling about, I, at this point, I don't think I've ever felt more confident in what the lines are going to do. Yeah, I don't think I have either. I'm I mean, pretty confident Jeff- that Jeff Okuda is going to be the guy at number three. Jeff Okuda made so much sense before free agency. We, we knew Darius Slay was probably on, on the move anyways, and we knew whether he was or wasn't, cornerback was still going to be a major need. Jeff Okuda checks every single box in terms of need, in terms of fit, in terms of intangibles, in terms of off-the-field character, in terms of intelligence. Like He's a slam-dunk pick, and the only way the, that he's not a Detroit Lion come April is A, if the draft doesn't happen in April and B, if the lines trade down and even if the lines trade down, I think there's a high probability in terms of the Isaiah Simmons things. I think for lions fans, the sooner you guys emotionally distance yourself from Isaiah Simmons, the better because one, I, I think it, it always, there was always a worse chance of it happening than lions. Twitter seemed to believe. And given where the lions are at now, it just makes too much sense for Jeff Okuda to not be the pick. And by the same token, it also makes too much sense for Derek Brown to be the pick too. Stop it. Stop it. I know you don't believe that. You're just, you're trying to prepare your brain for it. I'm not trying to be just the contrarian, but I am, I am legitimately saying there are two picks that seem like they make absolute sense. If you're the Detroit Lions run by Matt Patricia. One of them is Jeff Okuda and the other one is Derek Brown. All right. Well, then I'm just going to jump into this question. I didn't even really want to use it, but since you brought it up, 
Um, Valoraz World from our, our Pride of Detroit comment section asks, who would be more valuable? Hawkinson at eight or Derek Brown at three? <laughs> that question just made me hurt. If you're if you're listening on on the podcast and not watching, Ryan just immediately gave like I have the biggest migraine immediately faced. <laughs> and now he's touching his face like you shouldn't be at home. Stop touching your face, Ryan. I haven't gone anywhere in 14 <laughs> days. So I can touch my face all I want. Um Okay, so here's the thing. Hawkinson is more valuable at 8 because I saw the Arizona Cardinals game last year. And I think that that is more of who Hawkinson is versus who he isn't. And that might seem kind of bold to say, considering that was such a good game for him. But I think that that potential is there every game for him. And for Derek Brown, you're just not going to make that kind of impact every single game. It's not yeah. going to happen. Well, and, and yeah, I think I, I agree with you. And the way I would put it is let's let's talk about both players at their absolute peak. Like they're the best version of them. So let's say TJ Hawkinson turns into Gronkowski. Would that be worth a top 10 pick? Yeah, Absolutely. probably. Now, what's Derek Brown's ceiling? Is it snacks? Is snacks worth a top 10 pick? I'm not sure. I don't because know he's, he's, he's not a pass rusher. He's not. He's not Aaron Donald. He won't be Aaron Donald. By by, I know they both are defensive tackles, but in essence, they play different positions. So I'm talking about nose tackle, run stuffing. What's what's the peak there? And is the peak worth a first round, a, a top ten draft pick? And I think no matter who you pick, the answer is probably no. Vince Wilfork, no. maybe. I don't know. Mm, yeah. See, it, it's just tough. What makes it even more difficult is that Lions fans have seen tangibly what the effects of having a Snacks Harrison on your roster does. And that made a huge difference in terms of the run defense, but that's just one aspect. That's not pass defense. That's not pass rush. That's not, I mean, it's really awesome to have Snacks in for two downs and then right. he's, and then he's gone from the field. Yep, that I think that's a really good point. I mean, he's a two-down player. Yeah. And that's not top 10 value. It really isn't. And that's why I really don't think it's going to happen. I think all of the Derrick Brown hype came from media early on. I don't think it's happening. I hope so. Boy, <laughs> do I hope so. Because if Derrick Brown is the picket three and not Jeff Okuda, then... Man, talk about migraines. I'm going to need to invest in Excedrin. <laughs> All right. Uh, Mike Lau 47 on Twitter asks action speaks louder than words with teams, right? Seems the market for Cam Newton and Jameis Winston is slow because a lot of teams may assume a quarterback will fall to them in the draft. This should bode well for the lions and the potential trade down from number three. Do you agree? I am waiting for Cam Newton to sign with the new England Patriots. And if there's an NFL season next year, good luck AFC East because Cam Newton in New England would be absolute terror. Um, love Cam Newton. I do love Cam Newton, but Cam Newton is also a really good football player. Do you think um, he really is still? Honestly, do you think he's still a good football player? A really good I, football player. I, I think he is honestly still a really good football player. I think in Carolina, there are some things that were working against him, but I think injuries also have 
taken their toll. If he's healthy, I think that he can be a top 10 quarterback. Okay. I, I, I think if he's healthy, he can be a top 10 quarterback. Now, Jameis Winston, Mr. 30 for 30. I, I'm, I'm not buying any Jameis Winston stock. I'm really he's, not. I, he's still young though. That's, I think that's the one upside that he provides, but I'm with yeah. you. Like, I think, I think the reason, honestly, I think the reason both of these guys aren't, they, they don't have a huge market is kind of what Michael, I was saying is like, if I was building a team, would I rather do it with a top 10 quarterback in the draft or one of these two guys? I think it's probably a draft pick. And so that's why you're, you're seeing, I almost said San Diego. That's why you're seeing the chargers insist that they, they like their quarterback crew as is no, they're going to draft a quarterback obviously in the top 10. Um, and, and same with Miami. I mean, those, those two teams are locked in the quarterback in the first round pick. Correct. You would think so. And when it comes to cam and, and Jameis, they're probably not jumping to sign anywhere because anywhere else, maybe not anywhere else, but they, they want, they want to be a starter. Right. And I don't think there's necessarily a market out there that doesn't have a top 10 pick or doesn't have a high draft pick that needs a guy like those guys to build a franchise around. Maybe the Patriots. Maybe, Maybe. they might not be building blocks, but I I'll tell you what, if Cam Newton goes to the Patriots, all of a sudden the Patriots aren't, the AFC East isn't wide open anymore. You think he makes that big of a dude? New England is having a fire sale right now. I know we all jump on New England every offseason right now because they let big guys go and they seem to persist. I think this year might be different. I really do. And and not just because it's on Brady. I think I think they've lost some significant pieces this time because they're in cap hell. I think they've made some picks though recently that are going to pay dividends moving forward. Like for instance, Isaiah Wynn. that was a guy who had injury problems and now he's going to be a foundational piece on their offensive line. Sure. And they brought back Joe Thunny, right? Yep. So assuming they don't trade him from his franchise tag. Yeah. And they have the, what I think like the 23rd pick in the draft, which Honestly, the reason why I think a lot of Lions fans want to move back from three to five, for instance, and try to still get Jeff Okuda or move from three to seven, wherever the Chargers are. I think the reason that they want to do that is because there's so much value towards the middle part of the of the draft. And if you can get like an extra first round draft pick, like in the 15 to 25 range, like there's still going to be a really, really good player there available for your team to pick. And I'm just saying that I agree with your assessment. Like if I'm a team and I'm building from the start, like if I'm the Miami dolphins, yeah, let's go with Tua. If I'm the new England Patriots, let's go with Cam Newton. Maybe. And you know, maybe, but maybe, maybe they're building this offensive line. So that it's all set for their new rookie quarterback. They're willing to jump all the way up to number three with their good friend Matt Patricia. <laughs> so the Lions can move to twenty-three and take Derek Brown. Yeah, exactly. Now you're getting it. Do you know what kind of punch? In, you know what kind of punch in the balls that would be. I'm a Lions fan. I know exactly the kind of punch of balls that would be. <laughs> I was gonna say a firm one. 
Speaking of offensive line, let's move to the next question from Mickey Free. <laughs> thought um, for sure you were going to say, speaking of getting punched in the speaking balls. Speaking of getting punched in the balls. Here's another question I hate. No, uh, no, this is actually a really good question from Mickey Free. Um, in, in essence, we're, we're um, assessing Bob Quinn's job because he says, which would you rather have, the O-line from 2015 or the O-line now? So the O-line Bob Quinn inherited was uh, Riley Reef. Ladrian Waddle at the tackles. Uh, Larry Warford, Lakin Tomlinson, and Trev Swanson. <laughs> okay. Or would you rather have, from left to right, Taylor Decker, uh, Joe Dahl, Frank Ragnow, Ode Abushi, I guess, and Halapuli Vati Vaitai? Oh my gosh, 2015. How did we get here? <laughs> Here's, it's tough because you look at that 2015 team and there's not there's not a guy to build around Tomlinson had no okay K career Reef has had no K okay career Larry Warford Larry Warford's been okay those, those three guys that have stuck around good. but I, I, I wouldn't even call them good honestly when you cut but right now the lines I think have two guys who could be not blockbusters, but huge foundations for now and the future in Frank Ragnow and Taylor Decker. And that's a start. And so I think I would take 2019, but the fact that it ha- that it's still a tough choice four years later or five years later is concerning. And I'm going, the thing is they have, they have more holes now, but I think they have better stars. And so I'm I'm holding out hope that they find a guy in the draft because I don't think Ibushi's this team's starter, hopefully at right guard in, in 2020. Um, so I don't want to judge them too much yet since I don't think they're done at the position, but I think they have more talented guys that that'll, you know, maybe even fight for pro bowls in, in the future. I think that's a fair point to make. I think that the thing that's most concerning though, is how m- how much capital Bob Quinn has invested in getting this offensive line, right? And yep. it's, it does have a foundational piece. I'll, I will agree with you that Frank Ragnow is a foundational piece. Yeah. Taylor Decker is kind of on that seesaw. Sure. And with, with, with that being said though, you can do a lot worse at left tackle than Taylor Decker. I think that he is, I think he is right like smack dab in the middle of like left tackles in the NFL. Yeah. Which I mean, and let's be honest, it's hard to find good left tackles. So being an average one is, is good. Is good. Right. Right. So there is that sliding scale, but I mean, when you think about everything that he's done from, yeah, he's tinkered a lot. Rink wet, Rick Wagner, TJ Lang, you know, Graham Glasgow, Graham Glasgow. And, you know, he's done an awful lot. And, I think the other thing that's huge bummer is that Vitae should be a plus. And I don't necessarily view him as a plus right now. Cause I just view him as being a role player. Like I don't see him. I mean, immediately fitting it, it feels, in. it almost feels yeah. exactly like the Rick Wagner signing when it happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the Rick Wagner signing, I think I was a little bit more optimistic about because it seemed like he had established himself as a full-time starter in Baltimore. And he was the young, hot, right tackle prospect of the time, almost like if the lions would assign Jack Conklin. Yeah. Conklin has had a little more prestige. I think maybe, maybe just cause he was part of a good unit in Tennessee. 
Yeah, a little bit. But Rick Wagner also, he reset the market. He was the highest paid right tackle in NFL history. Yeah, I think. But I, I guess I guess the overpay is what feels the same to me, because I feel like at the time we thought Rick Wagner was getting a little bit overpaid. When, although, you know, a lot of people made the argument and it's, and it's a fair argument to make that right tackle is becoming just as valuable as left tackle. But um, yeah, and, and Craig in the chat brings up a good point. Vitae only has four starts in four years where, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, Wagner had, had quite a bit more, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not ready to bury the, the Vitae signing yet. It's obviously, there, there's obviously a lot of concern about it. And, and I share in that too, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see that one out. Um, next question from Albino Coconut 71. He asked if Don Mulebach is actually a, Terminator T-800 waiting to be activated. Which of the POD staff would his be his likely target? <laughs> now, this is this is a tough question for me because I'm not that familiar with the Terminator franchise. Did they, they created the Terminator to go back and like the original Terminator was a bad guy, right? Like they the future sent him back to start the Terminate. robot over. <laughs> But to like prevent the the uprising, no, to 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 help the uprising of the robots, right? I don't know. See, this is we should have our own separate podcast where I try to explain movies that I've never seen. <laughs> I think I think that that would be a great segment. Uh, and also, I can only chime in and say I've only seen RoboCop. I haven't seen any of the Terminator movies. Okay, well, this is a terrible question to pick. I know he, he was. He's sent back to kill John Connor, but why? Because John Connor prevents the uprising of the robots. Isn't that true? I think that's true. I don't know. Um, but he would probably, I don't know. Who, who poses the biggest threat amongst pride of Detroit to anything? Mm, I would say. I'll Yost. <laughs> Cause he's cool. the closest, cause he's the closest to a billionaire. <laughs> Fair. All right. Well, just follow the money. Whoa, hold on. I don't know. Andrew Cotto is a close second. Ooh, yeah. Cotto. <laughs> I don't want to give too much of his personal information, but he, he, he knows some people probably. And he probably knows where you are right now. Too. He probably he is oh, <laughs> like, don't get on that guy's bad side. He has he has the capability to find you more so than Liam Neeson. So keep oh, that geez. in mind. <laughs> All right, I'm going to keep it silly here. Uh, take the wind as uh, Maddie P can show Maddie P shows. You can really only manage one type of personality. Curious as to what Jeremy's management style is. And what his biggest management blooper was. <laughs> now, I could answer this myself, but I feel like the best uh, judge of my own management style is someone who I am managing, and then <laughs> someone who is currently laughing his ass off. Um, Ryan, how would you describe my management style? Passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointed dad. Um, fair. Yeah, yeah. Also, the also kind of the guy who, hey, can somebody grab this? Okay, no. never mind. Okay, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just get it done when I when I you know inconvenience myself. 
I do let you guys walk over me a little bit, but at the same time, <laughs> at the same time, I'm not paying you guys enough to be a hard ass. Like, oh yeah, that's so true. Yeah, and and here's you, the thing: you tell the, I, li- you tell the line very well because they, you don't have you don't have a whole lot of like power. Yeah, and here's the thing: I've I've learned in general. I've been I've, I've managed a dog daycare center where those people also didn't get paid what they were worth. And I've learned in general, you, you get more results with the fit with with the the cheese than the stick. What is it? The <laughs> what cheese is than the stick. What do you have at the end of the stick? The carrot. <laughs> carrot. There it is. Dear Lord, I am losing my mind. Chat. My God. Um, Dude, you just yeah. got boat raced by yourself. I just got boat raced. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, especially in a job where it's where everyone's pissed off that they're not getting paid. Everyone's pissed off because the lines suck. I'm not going to be a hard ass. And honestly, I like, I like both of my jobs. So if I'm putting more on my own shoulders, that's fine. I don't mind doing the extra work. I don't mind, you know, taking some sort of cut into my own life or whatever. I don't know. Why are we talking about me? Who asked this question? It's none of your business. Take the win back off. Why am I getting so defensive? Uh, <sighs> yep. All right. One last question before we head out to the break and to our list cast. Um, Dunsky in our comment section asks, why do you think Brady Quinn, Brady Quinn, I did it again. Bob Quinn continues to believe that guys like Deshaun Hand and Carrion Johnson can be significant tr- contributors given their injury history. It seems like he wants to build a team around these young guys, but keeps forgetting that they've both been injured significantly the past two seasons. Just curious if you can shed some light into this type of thinking. (sighs) Ryan, please talk. I don't want to talk again this entire podcast. Okay. I don't think it really matters what Brady Quinn thinks about those players because he is not in charge of the Lions organization. Um, Deshaun Hand is a really interesting case study because he only really had injury problems last year, and I'm not mm-hmm. ready to call him injury well, prone. His rookie year ended early too. Yeah, but it seemed like the rookie thing was something that kind of spilled over into the next season, right? Wasn't it yeah. with the elbow? Yeah. So, I mean, it's 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 essentially like one injury plague season. Let's see what happens in year three. If he if he deals with more injuries in year three, you can no longer count on him. I think that if he's not healthy and ready to go for year three, then that's when you become concerned. I think that you have every right to to believe in Deshaun Hand. I think if you are building this roster and you count him as being a plus player because of how well he played in his rookie season you know what he's capable of. And there's a reason why you moved up in the draft to get him because he was a talent. And I think that you count on him being a plus player for you until he proves yet again, that maybe injuries are a limitation of his. Now I get the sense that you might not feel quite the same about carry on. Is that true? I don't really feel the same about carry on just because I think that we have really similar feelings about running backs and in terms of their expendability. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I don't like the, I don't like the idea of running backs being an expendable position because it makes it seem like they're valuable for 
one year, two years, maybe three years on their rookie deal. And then it's time to cut bait with them. Otherwise you're going to end up with, with a Devonta Freeman situation or the Cowboys right now. They paid so much money to Ezekiel Elliott to keep him beyond his rookie contract. There are other teams that are going to be faced with that same thing, like the Jaguars and Leonard Fournette. You never want to be the team who has the running back on their second rookie deal. And at this point, I don't know if carry on Johnson has done enough to prove that he deserves that long-term second contract. And the injuries are the injuries are a big problem, but I will say the one, the one good mark on his injury concerns in terms of durability is that he came back at the end of last season. He was one of those players who returned from IR. So I think that that is a positive mark. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I I think at this point, those guys are talented guys. I do think they're going to have more of a contingency plan for both by the, by the end of the off season. Um, They already did a little bit with, with Nick Williams, I think, and and Deshaun hand, those guys are going to play similar roles. I think right now they have Deshaun hand penciled in as a starter, Nick Williams as as a backup. Um, And with carry on, I think we're all expecting a running back to be added somewhere, right? Whether it's in free agency, whether it's with one of the guys still, out there in free agency or with the day two or day three pick in the draft, they're going to get some, some kind of contingency plans there. But I do think, I mean, those guys are only two years into their career, right? You know, who also also had a lot of injuries in his first two years of his career and he turned out pretty okay. Mr. John Matthew Stafford. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. And with that, we're going to end the mailbag. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Stafford moments we're going to list cast baby and it's going to be Detroit Lions best moments best games I should say in the in recent history I'll, I'll tell you more when we come back stick with us Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. All right, let's start our list cast. That is our list cast theme. If you have not been a, a longtime listener, you may have never heard that before. But list cast is a thing we like to do, especially in the off season, where we make uh, a list of things, our, our favorite things, the best things. Sometimes we do fun stuff like food. Sometimes we do lines related stuff. This week, we're combining those two. We are trying to help out those of you in quarantine get by these stressful days, find out something to, to do with your life if you're, if you're out of work or on those weekends when you can't go out. But we also want to talk Lions. And as you may or may not know, Game Pass, NFL Game Pass, where you are able to rewatch any game, also use Coach's Film, which is the All-22 overhead shots. Um, that is free right now for anybody until I believe the end of May. So you guys have two months of free access to NFL game pass. Um, just search NFL game pass on, on Google and I'm sure you'll find the links to the, the complimentary two months. We are now going to list the five best Detroit lions games available on game pass, which goes all the way back to 2009. Unfortunately, not 2008 for all you masochists out there like myself. Um, so we are going to tell you the five top games you need to rewatch on NFL game pass, because now you have access to every single lions game from 2009 until 2019. 
And we're going to tell you the best ones to just jump right into. And I'm sure some of these are, are fresh in your minds, um, but we have a couple maybe that, that maybe aren't so fresh in your minds. So let's get into it. Ryan, I'm excited about this list. Do you, do you want to start with your number five first? Or even if you have, do you, do you have any honorable mentions that you had to bounce off your list? Let me ask you that first. Um, I didn't have any honorable mentions, but I will say that none of the games are from 2018 or 2019. <laughs> I yeah, Fair. One of my honorable mentions is from 2018, though. And the reasoning... Can I guess? You can, but if it's what you just said, the answer is wrong. It's not the New England game. It's not the New England game. Hmm. What is it? It's the Dolphins game in 2018. Oh, that game was fun! That was a great game. That was Matthew Stafford at his best. We've, We've long asked ourselves the question... What does Matthew Stafford look like with a running game? And that is the one game we finally got our answer. Yeah, yeah. Damn good. All, he looks damn good. He, he, he looked really good in that game. And we also got the answer to the question, what does it look like when Brock Osweiler plays quarterback? <laughs> he actually played okay in that game. He had one played, really, really good pass. He played pretty good in that game. We also found the answer to what if Michael Roberts was a tight end? I think he had a touchdown, maybe even two touchdown catches in that game. But and, yeah, it's it's a nice game to go back on. And like, if you're really frustrated with the path this current team is on and you would be 100% right to be in that mindset, go back to that game and it might give you a little bit of faith of like, maybe, maybe this route has some sort of validity to it. Maybe you don't have to be a Patrick Mahomes, throw the ball 40 times a game type of offense to succeed in this NFL. And uh, it gives you a little bit of hope. Plus I was there um, in Miami. And so that made it a little bit more fun for me. My other uh, honorable mention, oddly I was at this game too. go all the way back to 2011. A lot of people like to talk about the chargers game when the Lions finally clinched the playoff game for the first time in over 12 years. To me, it was about the game right before that against Oakland in Oakland, where the reason it's not on my list is because from the first quarter to the third quarter, it was hard to watch. It was bad football. The Lions offense was horrible, but they mounted a 98 yard comeback to win in Oakland, a team that was also competing for a playoff spot at the time. And then there was also the Sioux field goal block at the very end where everyone who was watching that game was just like, this is how the lines lose. They, they go and they score a 98 yard game winning touchdown drive. And then Sebastian Janikowski comes back and kicks a record breaking 65 yard field goal. But in Dominican said, no, no, no. And we partied because that, we knew the lines were about to make the playoffs. That was a good one. Anyways, those are my honorable mentions. Time to kick it into gear. Talk about our number fives, Ryan, I'm going to give you the floor. What is your number five? Detroit Lions game on NFL Game Pass available to watch for free right now. Okay, so here's my number five game, and it's not even a win. Oh, it's the Cardinals tie. No, Jeremy, you're going <laughs> to hate me. It's the Philadelphia Snowball. No, I knew it. No, that is you, not a football game. I know, because you're going to say, no, it's not a football game. <laughs> but that game has more insane things that happen in it than I think any other game. And I think that from a watchability standpoint, just to see all those things play themselves out is totally worth the price of admission. Who was it? Was it, was it LaShawn McCoy that was the running back at the time that just like yes. ran like crazy in the second half of that game? Yes, it is. 
And then it, Jer- it was Jeremy Ross, right? Who had did he have two touchdowns or one? He had at least one punt return. Uh, Jeremy Ross had a 58 yard punt return. Um, that yeah, yep. All right. It was um, it was good stuff. It was really good stuff. Not, and no, incorrect. <laughs> Jeremy Ross had hold on. He had a 58 yard punt return, and he had a 98 yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Okay, too. so he did have two scores. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was um, it was it was a lot of like the Lions. The thing about that game is that it seemed like the Lions had it until the fourth quarter, right? Because they were up 14 nothing going into the fourth quarter. And then you thought, well, with the way that this game is just proceeding, it's just, it's snowing. It's, you know, absolutely ridiculous outside. Right. All you need to do is stop the run and you're going to be fine. And then 57 yard run by LaShawn McCoy, one yard rush by Nick Foles, okay. 38 yard rush by okay. Nick Foles. All right, we're done. We're done here. No, we're done. Number five on the list. All you need to know about that game is that gif of, of Calvin Johnson's face full of snow in his face, Max. That, that's all you need to see. Go, go look up that gif and then forget that game ever happened. Fair enough. My number five, well, it comes from much happier times in 2016. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I say much happier times. This was actually a very emotional game for me personally. Um, it's, it's the saints game where the lions, it had, they had just come off. I think it was the Thanksgiving game where, yeah, it was definitely the Thanksgiving game yep. where Slay picked off the Vikings and picked up a huge win, huge emotional win saints game. I didn't even get to, to watch live because of personal reasons. I don't honestly remember that much about the game other than from front to back. The lines looked like the better team in new Orleans. They, they moved to eight and four after that game. They, I, I think more so than maybe any point in this decade or two, they looked like a legit team. And I remember after taking care of my personal business, going back to the pride of Detroit slack room and just like, everyone was so elated. Everyone was so happy. Everyone was just like, I can't believe what I'm watching right now. I'm watching the Detroit lions take it to the new Orleans saints in new Orleans to move to eight and four. This team is legit. This team's might even host a playoff game. There's four games of the season left. They can win up to 12 games. This is going to be a great season. Now we're not going to talk about what actually happened, but at that point, I don't know if I ever had more faith in the Detroit Lions than I did at that point. And I know that Chad is right. Like that is a year in which there's so many crazy comebacks and to pick that game is a little odd, but I just remember it's more of a personal memory for me. And and maybe going back and watching the game isn't that satisfying, but to beat up on a legit franchise like that in their hometown is something we don't get to experience a lot in Lions fans. So I think it might be fun to go back and watch that game. Yeah, it, it would be fun to go back and watch that game because that game was an absolute boat race season. It was a boat race. It was a boat race. Way to use that correctly. I'm so proud of you. But I do remember that game as well, too, because I was just about to go to Punta Cana and we were leaving the next morning. And I remember never feeling so great about the fact that the Detroit Lions were in the driver's seat in the NFC North. They went to New Orleans, a place where, you know, they had that playoff game in 2011 and it was just an absolute disaster. And it seemed like they exercised some demons. Everything was going great. And then the Bears game happened and the injury happened. And I truly think... But the one thing I would do want to extend and say, though, is I think that if that injury does not happen, that team is a playoff. That team could have won a playoff game. Yeah. 
it had that kind of juice that year. And there are a couple of games that are on my list from 2016. All right. Well, let's move to number four. Is 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 a 2016 game number four on your list? No, it's another loss. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> You're the masochist of the group. I thought I was the masochist, but it turns out you are. No, this game is incredible. Detroit Lions at Tennessee Titans, September 23rd, no! 2012. The flag game? Are you kidding? Why would you want to put yourself through that? The Titus Young Hail Mary from Sean oh, okay. Hill. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. Not, not the 2016 game, the 2012 game where Matthew Stafford got injured. Yep. Yep. Calvin Johnson catches a three yard touchdown pass from Sean Hill. They onside kick, they recover, they throw the hail Mary and then they tie the game. And then the lions decide to go for it on fourth and one on a quarterback sneak. (laughs) And Sean Hill doesn't get it. Um, So my God, I mean, it's a, but this game has, I really feel like Stefan from Saturday night live, but I'm like, this game has, this game has everything. (laughs) It has a 105 yard kickoff return for a touchdown by Darius Raynaud from the Titans. A 71 yard pass from Jake Locker, a 72 yard defensive fumble return for a touchdown. By who? By some player from the Titans. Okay, so the Titans got all these wacky ways to score and they still win the game. This happens in the fourth quarter. So 641 left in the fourth quarter, 105-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, then a 71-yard pass for a touchdown, then a 72-yard defensive fumble return for a touchdown, and the Titans are winning 41-27 to with a minute and 16 left. (laughs) The Lions tie that football game. That is a fun game to watch. I you actually you, you sold me on it, and I just I remember being so dumbfounded about the overtime fiasco because if I'm not mistaken, that was not they were supposed to, they were trying to draw draw the Titans offsides like that ball was never supposed to be snapped. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that they were trying. They were going to gonna kick a field goal, which would have I can't, it would have tied it right at that point. Um. Yes, I right. think. Wait, were overtime rules changed by then? I think so because the game was over after that, right? Like oh yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, the Titans kicked a yeah, the Titans got a field goal, so right, the Lions had a chance to answer back. Yeah. All right, my number four comes from 2011, so a little further back. Uh, the the infamous, not infamous, the famous uh, playoffs year for the Lions, first time in over a decade. Week, I don't know what week against Cowboys. This was the first of the Cowboy comeback games where the Lions were down 27 to three in this game, come all the way back and win it. Their comeback come comes all the way because of two defensive touchdowns, two pick sixes. My question to you, Ryan, and we're going to play a little trivia game in the middle of it. Can you remember the two guys that had pick sixes in that game on Tony Romo to bring them right back into it? Um, I can. I can. I know both of them. Give them to me. Bobby Carpenter. Yep. And Chris Houston. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. And that's without even looking. That's just that game is on my list as well. Um, No spoilers, but it. uh, Those were the changing. That was the changing tide of the game. Those interception returns for touchdowns. And and. 
I remember that's literally the only thing I remember from Bobby Carpenter's career with the Lions. Like they, they, they got him from, from the Cowboys. So there's a big game for him. I know he's from Ohio state and I know he had an interception in this game. That's all that I remember about Bobby Carpenter's <laughs> career period. But this was also just the Calvin Johnson game too. Oh no, this was not the 300 yard Calvin Johnson game. No, no, no. But this was just like Calvin Johnson catching touchdown pass after touchdown pass oh, to like, yeah. Yeah. Like this was one of those games where I was like, yeah, Calvin Johnson is the best wide receiver in football. (laughs) And there's no debating that fact. All right. I'll move on to my number three. We've got to move this list along a little quicker. Yeah, let's go. I have a feeling this is probably on your list as well. 2011, same season week. I want to say five Monday night football, Mm -hmm. Chicago Chicago Bears. Bears. Yeah. Um, we're, we're talking, I talked about how that saints game was, was high of the high for lions fan. This is a close second Lions get a five Oh start to the 2011 season. They beat the Chicago bears on the national stage. Javid best has the 88 yard run. I mean, that's it's, it sounds weird to say, but that's such an iconic moment in Detroit lions football in the past 20 years, that Javid best run. Oh yeah. The, the, the camera is shaking. <laughs> I'm I I'm literally getting goosebumps thinking about it. It's it's one of those rare moments where it just sends tingles down my spine because it's such a cool moment. It's such an exciting time to be a Lions fan. It's something that I'll never forget because Forfield was going fucking nuts in a way that I don't know it's it's ever have since. It was it was so much fun, and I I'm I'm probably going to go back and watch that game very soon because it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, interesting thing about that game too, is a lot of people don't remember the Lions were trailing at half. They were down 10, seven mm. and then they put it on them in the third quarter and the Lions end up winning that game. So um, the Javid best touchdown doesn't happen until the third quarter, but that's really like the turning point in the game. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. What's your number three? All right. So my number three was actually um, from the 2016 season. It was the game against uh, Washington mm-hmm. and Quan Bolden has that touchdown pass that he catches with 16 seconds left to give the lions that win. That was a really important game. And that was one of my favorite games because it was Kirk cousins versus Matthew Stafford. And there was mm-hmm. this, I think there was this story surrounding both of their quarterback play and Kirk cousins being like in the same class as Matthew Stafford and skip Bayless sent out a tweet after Kirk cousins scored a touchdown on a 19 yard <laughs> run with a minute and five left something about like, you know, Washington being the better team because Kirk cousins is a better quarterback. And then Matthew Stafford, mm-hmm. like as typical for the rest of that 2016 season, if you left any time left on that clock, he was going to make you pay for it. And down 17 to 13 with less than a minute left Anquan Bolden touchdown. I really, you know, we've talked about Anquan Bolden on this podcast twice now. Anquan Bolden was really awesome for this team. He was. Yeah. Uh, and for our Twitch chat, I pulled up the tweet from Skip Bayless, October 23rd, 2016. He says, Kirk Cousins just pulled off another. You like that? Redskins rally from 13 to three down mid fourth quarter to win in Detroit skins win. (laughs) I'm impressed. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And then of course he gets dragged in the comment section. 
Um, yeah. That one did not make my list, but it was definitely uh, one I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. And my, and my number two real quick was the yeah. Chicago bears game. There you go. My number two is the 2013 Cowboys game. The Calvin Johnson game, 329 yards, the Stafford heroics at the end, the, the fake the fake spike, whatever you want to call it. There are so many things that make this game so damn entertaining. It's the fact that the Lions had to come back all that time. It's Matthew Stafford's greatest pass ever. And I mean, to be real, like, has he ever made a better pass than that one down the left sideline? Um, Chris Durham. I don't know. That was, that was a dime. <laughs> Calvin has 329 yards that game. Um, the Lions have 62 seconds to come back from a six point deficit at their own 20 yard line. Here's a, I'm, I'm throwing another trivia question at you. Do you remember the first play of that drive? I do not. I do not remember the first play of that drive. What was it? The first play of that drive was a dump off to Reggie Bush for zero yards. (laughs) (laughs) Zero yards. He did nothing. And again, like, I feel like that's the triggering moment for, for Lions fans where they're like, Oh, well, yeah, this is, this isn't going to work out next play. He gets 20 yards of Calvin Johnson. Next play. He goes down the sideline to, to Chris Durham. Following play, he gets Calvin Johnson down to the one yard line, and then we know what happens left. Riley, 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 jump over the 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 line. Now, here's actually one of my favorite <laughs> and most underrated moments of this entire game, and it's something you'll notice if you watch it in full and you don't skip any of the commentary and stuff in between plays. Go back to the Cowboys' last possession. Um, they have first and ten on the Lions' thirty-ish yard line. They're up by three. A touchdown wins it. Um, a first down wins it. They're able to milk the clock. Lions have two timeouts, so they can stop the clock twice. First down, they run it. They get four or five yards or something. <clears throat> Announcers start going into end of game mode. They're talking about you know what what teams these guys have to play next. They start thanking everybody. They start talking about what game's next on Fox. And they start saying the game's already over. They start saying, this will move the Lions to so-and-so. This will move the Cowboys to so-and-so. You know, um, Jim Schwartz is really going to have to talk about his team about the turnovers. The Lions had four turnovers, and and they've only ever won one game. They literally said, like, the Lions have lost this game. When the Lions can stop the clock twice. And then on third down, after they've already stopped the clock twice, do you remember what happens? The Cowboys passed the ball, right? Nope. They ran the ball. They got a holding penalty. Oh, they didn't get the first down. The holding penalty stops the clock. The Lions have over a minute to come back and win it. They only need, uh, I think they only needed 50 seconds of the 62 that they had. And so if, if you decide to go back and watch that game, listen for that commentary and go back and laugh. I don't remember who the announcers were, but uh, I always love when, when, when announcers don't realize the game's not over when they think it is because it happens more than you think. And it really came to bit them in the ass that game. Yeah, that's good stuff. <clears throat> All right. You're number one. You don't want me to say it. Here's the thing. I, As okay. a Lions fan, uh-huh. the closer you come to understanding that your life is more of a dark, is, is more of a dark comedy oh, than it no. is. You pick any- another loss. 2014 you did not play the playoff game versus the what? cowboys 
Okay, so you did not have this Cowboys game that I just talked about on your list. One of the most iconic games in Detroit Lions history. No. And you don't have my number one on your list either, which is insane to me. But no, you know what? Make your case. This list is just all stupid case. Make my stupid case for wild card weekend. There's something about the way that that game starts with the Golden Tate 51 yard touchdown pass from Stafford that makes like that, that touchdown made me think that it, well, you know what, this could happen. And then the Reggie Bush touchdown later in that quarter made me think this is going to happen. Yeah. The lions are going to win this game. I'm finally going to know what it feels like to win a playoff game. And then it gets taken out from underneath you. And I think that there's something so like the good guys don't always have to win in order for it to be a great story. And I think that between the botch, the botched flag, the bad punt, the poor decision-making, the turnover at the end of the game, all, all of it. It's just so much more emblematic of what it means to be a Lions fan that you almost have to kind of appreciate (laughs) the type of loss that is like, that is just like, that's just so it's such a Lions loss. I don't know. It's that game. That game is really important to me because that, that game is every lion season to me. It started out. Optimism is overflowing. I'm super excited about what the season could present. And then eventually it just unravels into this terrible, awful house of horrors. That's my number one game. (laughs) I, I I have one very simple question for you, Ryan Matthews. Yes. Are you okay? No. Why? Like, I I don't disagree with anything you said about that game being emblematic of being a Lions fan, but why would you want to revisit that? Why would you want to go back and live that all over again when we know the image? We know what's happened. Like, we remember everything about that game in the way that you remember a traumatic event because it was a traumatic event. I don't need to relive that. I do because I just need to sit there and think, why couldn't this be different? Why couldn't it have been different? I think that if the Lions would have won that game, things would just be different today. (laughs) My number one is Matthew Stafford's rookie game against the Cleveland Browns, because of course it is, because it has to be, because that's actually a fond memory about being a Detroit (laughs) Lions fan, because it's about Matthew Stafford being the face of this franchise, doing something that no one expected him to do in a moment that didn't matter in a moment where this franchise didn't need a win, didn't need its young quarterback to risk further injury after separating his shoulder to go in and throw a meaningless touchdown pass to Brandon Pettigrew to win a game against another Browns team that was just as pathetic as the Lions at that point. That was a hell of a game. Like, take that moment out because you could just watch the the mic'd up thing and, and be fine with it. That game was amazing. The Lions were down 24 to 3 in that game. And then they just let Matthew Stafford go crazy. They, they, they took the, the training wheels off him. They, they let him just be the cannon that he is 422 yards and five touchdowns in that game. If you want a classic 
air it out Matthew Stafford game. Forget the ending of it. Forget all of that. That's just a fun freaking Matthew Stafford game when he was kind of uncorked and exciting. And yeah, he made a couple of mistakes in that game. I think he had two or three interceptions, but they just let him be him at that point. And that was, I think we forget how much fun unleashed Matthew Stafford was, how, how fun that was. Because I mean, not, he also had the emotions on the field too, right? Like, as, as you see in the mic up, he like lets out a big bomb to Calvin Johnson. He's just like running with his arm up in the air before the completion. Like he was having fun. He was unleashed. He was letting the ball loose. That's a fun game. Go watch that one. Forget the playoff game ever happened. Find <laughs> angry letters, letters for even talking for, and then write them to me for letting him talk about it for like three minutes. I deserve it. Write us a bad review on iTunes. Now we, we deserve donation. <clears throat> Brian, I love you. I love you too. But, but go watch, go rewatch my list, not your own list, please, for well, your own good. Hold on, go rewatch that Titans game because that's a lot no. of fun. No, no, maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right, and with you that, I think we have time. Up. We do have plenty of time. Maybe just run through both lists and see which one makes you feel better. I wonder which one. Hey, here's one thing that we have to tell everybody from now on out. It's all about the draft, baby. Oh, God. You were just the worst this episode. <laughs> I kind of want that to be the end. I want the end to just be me calling you the worst. All right, let's call it a day. Ryan, you're the worst. Hell but yeah, that's bro. why we love you. Goodbye. <laughs>